Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm here with Matthew Duffus. He is uh, he is the author of Swapping Purples for Yellows. It's a literary novel, equal parts campus novel and family drama. Maybe a little bit of write what you know here since Matthew is an instructor at university. Uh, Amy Shern, author of The Mermaid of Brooklyn, and Unseen City says, these characters are so well-drawn, you could swear you've been friends for years. And I would agree. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and so you came down along the 74 quarter and up 85 because you came down from? From Boiling Springs. Boiling Springs, yeah. Because yeah. that's where Garden Web University is, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. We talked about your path to get here in the rain today, but mm-hmm. uh, your path to get there Sure. It was a little bit different. You were born in Pennsylvania, spent time living in Maryland, Indiana, Mississippi, Minnesota. Ten- were you just trying to learn how to spell all the states? <laughs> That's right. Growing yeah. Up? yeah. It's so, the benefit of being in school. You get to explore different places. Is that why you traveled around? Most it, of them. More, more in your adult life? Yeah, than- more in my adult life, yeah. Okay. So which of these states did you enjoy the best? Oh, my. Um, it's hard. I would say... Maybe Mississippi. Really? Yeah. I lived in Oxford. Uh, I went there because I thought I was going to be the next great Faulkner scholar. Okay. So I lived down there in his old stomping grounds, and it's a great literary town. And so I miss square books and all the great readings. Mm. But now you're in North Carolina. Yes. And you've been here for? 13 years. 13 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's the longest I've ever lived anywhere, actually. Uh, You think you're going to stick? I think so. Yeah, I think this is it. Now, along the way, along this path, I guess we would call this a, a graduate degree path. Mm-hmm. Degrees in English, creative writing, uh, and you worked as a graduate instructor and research assistant. Yes, I did. Apartment caretaker, you said? Yes, after graduate school. Yeah, a couple of years. Interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Bookseller? Mm-hmm. Where, like at a bookstore? Yeah, at a bookstore while I was uh, working on my MFA. Right. Concession supervisor, what's that mm-hmm. all about? Um, I, I worked for the company that managed all the concessions at the University of Mississippi for okay. sporting events. Right. And you were residence hall director too. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. did that too. But back to graduate instructor and research assistant for a second, because um, 
I see some of that in this book that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about today. Did, did your own experiences influence some of what you put in this book? Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of what I went through, uh, at least informed it, if it's not truly in the book. The mm-hmm. book is very much a composite of all the different places I've been, but a lot of the experiences and characters. Yeah, and we got a, we're going to have a fun read at the midpoint mark here mm-hmm. where we talk about sort of this path to academia yes. yeah, and that kind of thing. Uh, your creative work has appeared in more than two dozen publications. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't list them all because they'll be in the show notes. Uh, mm-hmm. But you've published articles and book chapters, and uh, and now you've got a novel. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. how long has that been in the works? Uh, um, I've been writing creatively since I was in college, but the novel itself started about 10 years ago, actually, mm-hmm. now. And uh, it took me four years to write, uh, about two and a half years to sell and then two and a half more years to edit. It, it's not for the faint of heart, right? No, it takes a long time. <laughs> and do you tell your students that? Yeah. I do. I try to be very honest with them yeah. and let them know that there aren't any overnight paths. It's not like sending a tweet or you know, right. get, getting on one of those social media platforms. <laughs> exactly. So they do want it more instantaneously, right? Right, yeah. A lot of the time they can I do. just Twitter my book out there? Right, yeah. exactly. And you said your first, your first collection of stories, Dunbar's Folly, is going to be published mm-hmm. by Unsolicited Press in October this year. What, tell us about that. What, what are those? Sure. Uh, those are a collection of stories based on about 12 years' worth of work. Uh, I got to a point where I was looking at my CV one day and all the publications, and I thought, why don't I take some of those and put them together in book form? There you go. You've already gotten them out there published, so let's now let's combine them. Exactly. In a book. Yeah. But you need to call it a novel so people can right. buy it, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> don't call it short stories. Yeah. But you know, the trick now is what they do is they take those stories and they call them collected or connected mm-hmm. stories or yeah. something to make it right. sound yeah, more Yeah, the like, more stories like, in novel. And or, sometimes you can yeah. see a novel and you can say, that's a bunch of short stories pieced together. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Some publisher got to them. <laughs> uh, well, so before we get under the covers here to talk about, uh, this book, Swapping Purples for Yellows. Let's talk about the book cover itself. Um, sure. That uh, looks almost like outer space or something. What, <laughs> what, what are we looking at here? A little bit, yeah. yeah. I think uh, since the book takes place during homecoming weekend, uh, the cover is supposed to represent kind of the both the excitement and all of the events that go along with that. So I look at it as almost like luminescent confetti or something like that coming down from the ceiling yeah there's almost well there's this there's this bright light at the top that's Mm kind of angling out as if it could be coming from the base of some kind of flying saucer or something yes that's (laughs) true sucking humanity up you know that's true but then you got the what looks like stars or confetti Mm -hmm. out there and uh maybe the milky way i don't know but uh, yeah and there's no, there's no, there are no columns on the cover here. There's no school, no, no university. No, I was, I was kind of surprised. Uh, uh, my publisher is a great designer named Olivia Kroom, right. who does all of the book covers, and they just kind of came up with this and dropped it on me, and did they I give just kind of went with it. Did you get feedback, or was it pretty much there? No, this yeah. this cover was the cover. The so, cover. Yeah. And what did they say their interpretation was? Um, they didn't tell me a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. The one change that they made from when I first saw it was adding the purple in the actual lettering. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It, it had been all gold, and that mm-hmm. was a bit stark, I think, with the black and gold. Okay, well, you got the title on the cover, Swapping Purples for Yellows. Mm -hmm. A little clue about that, maybe? Tell us about that. Sure. Um, It has to do with casino chips. Uh, You ready to get under the covers? Absolutely. 
If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me, the first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Reader's Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Okay, so we got swapping purples for yellows. Uh, before we zoom in uh, to get into the meat of the book here, let's sort of get a high-level view of what this uh, book is about, where it's set, who's involved, and uh, you know, where the action is taking place. Sure. It's set in western North Carolina at a small liberal arts college, and it's both homecoming weekend and Halloween. That sounds familiar, Western North Carolina, small yeah. liberal arts college. A little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I tell people it's it's not Wardner Gabb yeah, or yeah, anything yeah. like not that. Wardner Gabb University, right. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you made it a college, not a university. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they they say uh, a lot of times write what you know, but I don't know that you're necessarily doing that as much as you're just using some of your own life experiences to make the story interesting, right? I think so. Because yeah. people like to know sort of the inside baseball of what goes on right. in these situations. And, and you know, we can know professors and we can know people who teach, but we don't know what they go through mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, right? That's right. And so you can provide that insight to a book like this. Yeah, I try to. What did you mean by equal parts campus novel and family drama? Yeah. Um, I find I, I love reading campus novels, so mm-hmm. novels about professors set on university campuses, but I find a lot of times they don't have as much of a off-campus element to them. Okay. Yep. So that's where the family drama comes in. Well, you got to have conflict, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's where the, and you got a lot of conflict through the family. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you got an academic family here, the Sutherlands, mm-hmm. uh, and you got Homecoming Weekend. Mm-hmm. And you got uh, four family members. Tell us who they are. Sure. Uh, there's Rob and Molly, who are a professor and an adjunct professor, husband and wife. And then their 17-year-old daughter, uh, Katie, and their 13-year-old daughter, Robin. Now, do you have children? I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are they close to these ages? No. My daughter's nine. Okay. So. All right. You're, you're just yeah. projecting here. Right? Exactly. But like these characters in this book, both of them are academics, right? That's right. And you and your wife? Yes, we both are. When I when I wrote this, she was a, a full-time professor, and I was the adjunct, so I kind of turned that you, on its you head. You reversed the roles. Here, yes. Because yeah, in this book... Uh, he of the Sutherlands is the tenured professor. That's right. And his wife is, what, what would you, what's her position? Is she kind of an she's, adjunct? She's or? an adjunct professor of philosophy. It's a school where they've closed the philosophy department. So they kept her because she was the cheapest option. And so she teaches logic. Yeah. So one of the conflicts early on is between he and his wife because he says the absolute wrong things yes. to her when she's looking to getting another job that would promote right. her exactly even though she would have to travel and so he's right. a bit demeaning right so he's mm-hmm. not respecting her career and right is that one of the risks that runs through this book between them it is absolutely the mm-hmm. the question since the book takes place over a weekend they don't necessarily resolve this but they do uh, deal with the question of is she going to take that job on the other side of the stage or not okay 
Well, before we get into a read here, a little bit about the uh, what we might call, I don't want to say, I guess I say germ, but germ, so many germs out there, but uh, <laughs> you began this book, you said, right after your daughter was born, when you took time off to be a stay-at-home dad, and you were only teaching one course at a mm-hmm. local university, and uh, so tell us about that writing experience and sort of what kind of got you going. Sure. Um, my wife and I were walking around the neighborhood one day when she was pregnant, and we saw a car on the side of the road with this young man in it staring intently at this house. And it was right after graduation, so I'm thinking already, students, I'm imagining things. Uh, and so I come up with this idea that he's a young college graduate who's come back looking for advice from a wise, sage professor. And it turns out that character, uh, as I explored him more, becomes almost the antagonist He's uh, a wealthy video game designer who comes back to give the university money. Uh, mm. And so that's one of the things that sets the campus side of the novel going. Mm, yeah, but, and I read early in the book here um, about uh, them giving uh, Mr. Sutherland, one of the protagonists in the book, a hard time because he gave this kid a poor grade. Right? That's right. And the yes. kid would talk, uh, I guess, as it is various talks around the country mm-hmm. about how this poor, this low grade had propelled him to right. do better kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. He so, gives a TED Talk and, yeah. and exposes that. And so the fellow professor saying, well, do you think he's coming back to actually give you a chair, a money right. for yeah. a chair? because you chair, yeah. And he's like, well, but yeah, but I didn't, I, I gave him a C or a D right. or something. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you spent time writing. Um, you have this antagonist, uh, and you're thinking about the plot. Um, mm-hmm. Did... Some of your own life experiences sneak into this novel here? Um, I would say more so in the secondary characters. Okay. But right. I certainly did think about it. Um, uh, when I stayed home with my daughter, I left a PhD program at the University of Tennessee to do that mm-hmm. because I couldn't imagine commuting three hours with a baby at home yeah. and missing all of that. And so all of that was kind of swirling around in my head as, as well as other experiences and encounters I'd had with academics throughout the years. Well, I loved your uh, choice of words here. Mm, um, thank you. And, and particularly, I was reading this one section on page 14 where um, you were talking about the campus. And Scott, who, who's going to be part of your read here in a right. minute, he's coming in. And he says, Scott had once overheard Dr. Sutherland remark that the college was so obsessed with columns that if you stood still long enough, a pair of dork pillars would sprout up around you. <laughs> and, yeah. and it gave you a real sense of place, right? Absolutely. It, because when you go on these older liberal arts campuses, right. what do you find, right? Right, yeah. Columns. You right? find columns. Yeah. They were obsessed mm-hmm. with columns, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> For a long time, I was, I was nervous that I didn't have enough setting in yeah. the book, thinking yeah. broadly about Western North Carolina. But then yeah. I realized the setting is actually more specific, which is yeah. this specific college campus. Okay, Matthew, so we've got a read here uh, from early Mm -hmm. in the book. Could you set it up for us? Sure. There's one other character uh, who has a significant role, and his name is Scott Kenny. He's a young senior at the college. I felt like the book would get a little claustrophobic if it was just the family. So he gives the outsider perspective. All right, good. And he's he's coming to see... He's coming to see Dr. Sutherland's friend, Dr. Delacroix. Okay, anytime you're ready. Okay. So what's my lesson? Scott would have been more pleased with himself if his voice hadn't quavered with the final word. Old professors with bad backs need help, he said with a smile. 
even though Scott always saw the professor and Dr. Sutherland laughing about something or other. Delacroix rarely did so around students. Scott couldn't think of a better opening. I've been thinking about graduate school. Yes? Scott had already hired a tutor to help him review math and had reread the Canterbury Tales and most of Shakespeare's major works. But how best to put this into words? I want to become a professor, he said, thankful something inside him had resisted the urge to add, like you. Close the door, Dr. Delacroix said, remaining silent for a full minute after Scott had done so. The smile was gone, replaced by a more severe frown than usual. While he stared past Scott at the closed door, his fingers spun a fountain pen around on the blotter. Are you independently wealthy? He almost laughed. Would he be working two jobs if he was rich? Not by a long shot. Plan on marrying into wealth? I wouldn't mind it. Ten minutes until Dr. Sutherland's class. Where was this going? You're an excellent student, but unless you've got serious money coming in from some other source, I can't recommend graduate school. Where to begin? The first part thrilled him, the kind of affirmation he'd never gotten even from his parents, who excelled at fault-finding. But the last part, the can't, was awful enough to cancel out any praise. I'm sure you didn't expect to hear that, but saying you want to be a professor is like saying you want to be an elevator operator. Assuming there was a golden age for professors, which is itself debatable, it's well in the past. This profession is only viable now thanks to the underpaid labor of grad students and adjuncts. But I've already taken the GRE. He wanted Dr. Delacroix to ask about his scores, 90th percentile, but the professor didn't seem to care. So you're out a few hundred bucks. Beats wasting thousands, not to mention most of your 20s. I went from BA to PhD in hand in five years, but that was 30 years ago. Now, unless you get into an ivy, the average time is closer to a decade. Not because you're learning more than I did, but because they need your cheap labor. Most of my friends teach fewer classes per year than their grad students do. And in some cases, the students are better teachers because they work at it. But the teaching slows down their progress and distracts them from scholarly pursuits, so they hardly ever get tenure-track jobs after. Scott felt dizzy sick to his stomach. He wanted to run out of the room. He wanted to sink deeper into his chair. He wanted to disappear. All right, Matthew, that's not a very glowing uh, recommendation for the profession, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's some truth in this, right? I mean, there is. Um, there, there's certainly been a crisis in academia in the last 10, 20 years even, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to the overproduction of graduate students. So you and your wife are both professors. You're, mm -hmm. you're not in this golden age, supposedly, of professors. Right. What do you tell your children when they come along and they say, hey, <laughs> I want to be a PhD like, like you, mommy? Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't be as harsh <laughs> as Dr. Delacroix is. Right, I wouldn't right. say no, yeah. but I would certainly want to make sure that they know the, the full story before lay, they go into it. Yeah, lay the land, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's great. Um, and I assume things spin out of control this weekend, or this yes, upcoming weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You had a lot of conflict, a lot of drama. Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. 
Well, let's talk riding life for just a second. Sure. Uh, you're an instructor. Um, did you follow any of your own advice that you give to your students in writing this book? I tried to. <laughs> uh, first of all, being routine. Yeah. Uh, most of this book I wrote from 5 to 6 in the morning. I did mm. that every day, 365 days a year. Wow. Christmas, my birthday, everything. You didn't even take Christmas. No, I didn't. Off. No. <laughs> and so keeping that routine meant that even when I wasn't writing, the book was working. Kind of my subconscious was working out problems so that by the time I sat down to write, most days I was getting a thousand words in that one hour. In that one hour. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what time do you get up in the morning? Uh, at that point, I would get up about four forty-five, and okay. right away with a just, cup of coffee, I would just get. And get you to could work. wake your mind up that quickly and mm-hmm. start writing. Yeah. It took a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. pretty soon it just kind of happened on its own. So if you're cranking out the words there, and you get to that end of that hour, are mm-hmm. you frustrated that you have to get up and go, or, or is it is it yeah. better? Yeah, yeah, I, I, w- I would be frustrated. Um, yeah. I tried to follow Hemingway's dictate about stopping in the right. middle of a sentence so that I <laughs> Stop, knew stopping in the middle of knowing something good and exactly when you come back you can pick up right but what exactly. if you forget where you were going I mean that's you know that that's, that's the risk part too, of the right? challenge it is the risk yes yeah. um, did you have fun writing the book I did I had yeah. a lot of fun I yeah. tried novels before mm-hmm. and I think I put too much pressure on myself to write something great mm-hmm. and this time I just tried to have fun with it did it switch um, pass on you as you went did you have to go back and do a lot of revision, or did you pretty much stay true to your your sort of your outline or goals mm-hmm. for the book? What I found was the first hundred and twenty pages or so changed a lot, mm-hmm. and I kept going over and over those because I realized if I didn't have that first third down cold, mm-hmm. I couldn't move forward. So I spent almost two years just on those first hundred and twenty pages, okay. just going over them. Are you an outliner or a pantser? Or what? I'm more of a pantser usually. Okay. Yeah, right. I'm getting a little bit better about that. What do you tell your students about that, outlining versus pantsing? I I give them both perspectives so that they can decide what works for them. But I find most of them lean more towards the pantser side. I think I kind of like a little bit of blend of both, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of a general over. I didn't didn't use an outline for my first one, but I found Mm -hmm. that I got way down a path, you know, and then you have to come back if you don't at least have some idea where you're going, particularly if you're writing a mystery. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure when you have to have all the wheels line up. But I do a lot of free writing, Uh and so I do that instead of outlining. That's good. So Mm -hmm. you're writing about uh, family dramas. Uh, You're writing about this uh, conflict during during an age where people – I think we still respect professors. We mm-hmm. want we want our professors to teach us. It doesn't always happen at the big universities, right? But, but at a place like where you teach, you're mm-hmm. actually teaching the students, right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, what do you hope uh, readers get from this book? Um, I hope they see kind of a clear glimpse of what it's really like. So many campus novels are very comedic, almost absurd, mm. and I wanted to kind of. Give the, like the animal, kind of animal, animal house, <laughs> animal house, yes, straight man, Richard not, not, Russo, things like good, that. Knowledge is good, yeah. right? Exactly, and so <laughs> yeah. that's part of it. And then I just yeah. wanted people to become engrossed in this family mm-hmm. and see where they go. Mm-hmm. So you say you had abandoned novels in the past, but mm-hmm. you got through this one. Does it give you hope that you're going to write another one? Yeah. It certainly does. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know each experience is completely different, yeah. but it does help with the confidence. Yeah. Do you have any ideas for what's next? Or? I do. Uh, I'm working on a novel right now. It's it's too early to, 
to yeah, say too to much about because but, it might change right right exactly <laughs> but but I feel pretty good about it yeah and have you talked about your writing journey with your students that is how long it took you to kind mm-hmm. of put this together and write it and yes yeah how, how do you do that and what kind of lessons do you hope to teach right uh, I try not to talk about it too much because mm-hmm. it seems a little egotistical but I do well, try to give it as a cautionary tale yeah and remind them that it does take time and you have to put in the hours. Well, I think it'd be more egotistical if you said, I wrote this in a week and I got, and I got a publisher and it got published. Right. But if you're telling them you spent these years mm-hmm. and you're getting up early, yeah, I think that's less egotistical and more practical. That's true. Probably. Yeah. You know, at least mm-hmm. you're giving them the straight scoop. Yeah. Um, well, so has this um, book writing experience been everything you hoped it would be now that you have it out there in the world? Has it been helpful to your journey as a writer? I think absolutely it has yeah. been. You yeah. you don't know about the other side, the publishing side, until it happens. Right. And so I've learned as much since the book came out as I probably did just writing it. Yeah. And you're, you're not the first author I've had here uh, on the podcast from this publisher, uh, mm-hmm. George Hovis. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, George. And George is going to mm-hmm. be actually part of uh, season six on, on the long form. And then mm-hmm. uh, I've gotten some submissions from some others that I'm looking at uh, it's a Great. i think you've got a real it's kind of a niche publisher a mm-hmm. little, little kind of southern gritty kind of right. thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah i like that so yeah great well look uh we're gonna listeners we're gonna have information in the show notes um about matthew and his book and uh some photographs uh, links that kind of thing so check it out matthew thanks so much for being on the show thank you for having me well that's it for today Another fine author giving voice to their written word. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.